Would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad, you know. You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace at many a dinner table. Dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly laying at our table this day and each day by day day by day by day oh dear lord three things we pray to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly Day by day. By day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stole my ending prayer today. They did it right there. I've got to come up with something else. I'll do it at the end of the service. Well, we're glad that you're here this morning with us as we're continuing our series on prayer, and um, we're excited about that and uh, look forward to our time together. Well, as we're continuing our series, as you can tell by the video we just watched, prayer can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes, can it? (laughs) But um, the truth is that prayer, the kind that we're learning about from the Bible, um, really goes right to the heart of God, and it has the power to not only change people and circumstances on a small scale, but to change things really on a, a huge scale, on a large scale, in a big way. It can actually go to the very core of a person and even change the convictions of a person's heart, which is a pretty big deal. Um, so when we talk about prayer changing hearts this morning, we're talking about prayer making big changes, okay, profound changes, even to changing a person's heart. You see, our desire here is that God would change how we pray during this series, and so as we're praying, we say, well, sometimes I'd pray to change a person's heart, but maybe not very often. What we're saying beyond just changing a person's heart is big, whole-scale, monstrous, almost miraculous changes, even to penetrating a person's heart and changing them. So I think this is something that will apply to you. Well, today we'll be looking at the Old Testament character Nehemiah, really one of my favorites, and uh, we'll be looking at one particular prayer of his that was both powerful and profound. And you can grab your outline if you want to follow along and take notes. The verses are printed there, but if you have your Bible, you can turn it to Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to spend all our time right there, kind of unpacking the verses and the prayer that appears there that Nehemiah prays. If you have one of our lobby Bibles, we always encourage you to grab one on the way in. Maybe you forgot yours, or again, you don't have one. You can open it up to page 371. It's the added bonus. You don't even have to look it up. You can go right there and find it. That's where Nehemiah 1 is. Well, as you turn there, I want to comment on the fact that uh, in our daily Bible reading plan that many of us do here at Twin Cities Church, just this last week, we spent time reading through the book of Nehemiah. 
Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that makes me smile because God has once again lined things up through no planning on our part. You know what I mean? It just kind of happened that way so that the reading we've done at home and our quiet time just helped prepare us for our time together today. So for some of you that do that, we kept, yay, God did that again. And we, we couldn't orchestrate it better than that. But some of us have had that opportunity this week and we're grateful for that. I love God seeing, I, I love seeing God work like that. You know what I mean? God does it and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it out this way and it comes together. It's beautiful. Now, before we dive into Nehemiah's prayer that we find in Nehemiah chapter 1, I want to take a moment to kind of set the table, set the smorgasbord, wait, in the video, set the table here to kind of set up the context of the book of Nehemiah so we can get the full significance of his prayer, really understand where it comes from and and where it's going. Uh, You see, at this point, historically, the nation of Judah had been conquered uh, actually quite a while ago by the Babylonians. And so the Persian kingdom had come in, and many of the Hebrew people had been led into captivity after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and much of the surrounding country. They just kind of wiped it out. And then they took a lot of people back with them into, into Babylon and surrounded country. Now, some of the Hebrews had even prospered there, and they were kind of feeling like, you know, this has kind of become a home away from home for us here, and generations had gone by. Now, the book right before Nehemiah in the Bible is called Ezra, and in the book of Ezra is a story of how some of the Hebrew captives were allowed to go back to Jerusalem at a particular time, specifically to rebuild the temple. When the rest of the city was destroyed, the temple was just totally knocked down. And they actually then went back, and over a period of time, they rebuilt the temple. It was nowhere near the size and the grandeur of the earlier temples, but at least they had this temple, a place to worship God, kind of home base for that. And, uh, and so that went on. So about 13 years after Ezra himself went to Jerusalem to kind of complete that task, we pick up with the story of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is still in captivity. It's all he's known. He was born in captivity in Babylon there, kingdom of Persia that still ruled much of that region of the world. And, uh, and he's there, and uh, he's still in captivity, and things are not going well in Jerusalem. Nehemiah hears that the city of Jerusalem is in disgrace, and it's a major blemish on the people of God and even on the name of Jehovah God himself. Now, now we're going to look in detail at Nehemiah's prayer in just a moment, but it's important to know that what Nehemiah is going to ask God for is a big deal. He's going to ask God to change the king of Persia's heart so that he'll allow Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem and get to work, ready, rebuilding the huge walls around Jerusalem that were torn down when the Babylonians conquered them. <laughs> no, no city can have any respect if its walls are lying in shambles, and they've been down for many, many, many years. So that's his plan to do that. And so you have to ask, why in the world would the king of Persia allow a conquered enemy city to rebuild their fortress city walls? Why would they do that? It doesn't make much sense. That's a great question. But beyond that, if the king were to allow that, why would the king allow Nehemiah to lead that project? Nehemiah was a valuable and trusted servant to the king, and the king wanted Nehemiah right next to him every day. He was even the cupbearer for the king. That amount of trust and and, um, loyalty was really built into him and put in him. So there's some of this story, uh, but I want to add a bit more about Nehemiah himself. We have some of the historical background, and we'll build on that. Nehemiah wasn't only a trusted servant to the king, but he was a man of many talents and gifts. He was kind of a dynamo. And I actually studied him in seminary as kind of the Old Testament wonderful picture of leadership and what we can learn from him. And uh, he was an amazing leader, a man of strong personality, a man with strong abilities of persuasion and organization and leadership. He's a dynamic guy, okay? And, And so here's why it's interesting to note all these things about Nehemiah. When this big problem of the disgraceful broken down walls comes to his attention, it's brought to his view, he has a choice to make. 
Okay? He could either begin plotting and planning how to solve the problem of himself, which made great sense for a man with such skills and such dynamic personality, right? Get to work on solving this. Or he could turn to God in prayer. He has a choice to make. So the whole book of Nehemiah begins with the potential conflict of how Nehemiah is going to react to this problem that comes his way. Now, since we're doing a series on prayer, I think we all know which one he chooses, right? It's not a series on getting to work hard and doing your best. It's a series on prayer. So we know how it turns out. But this whole concept got me thinking a little bit. And this is where if you want to begin taking notes in your outline, we'll have a few kind of pre-thoughts before we get into the text itself. Thoughts about Nehemiah, us in prayer. First of all, I find that we tend to pray for things that are beyond us. We tend to pray for things that are beyond us. Did you ever notice that? I mean, small things we kind of handle on our own because they're small. And we sometimes, we sometimes don't even think about bothering God about them because we don't want to bother him. After all, they are small things, right? So when things grow in size and scope, we often continue to try and handle them on our own and handle them on our own until finally we become aware that they're getting beyond us and we can't handle them on their own. And then finally we go... Oh, hi, God. <laughs> and we turn them over to God. Uh, God, I was okay up till now, but now I really need you. I'm not so sure we were okay, but we can pretend, live in that pretend world. So why do we do that, I wonder? Why do we do that? God, this is small stuff. I can take care of this. <laughs> Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's that great American trait of self-sufficiency. Does the word stupidity make sense to you, perhaps? Now, in our family, we've made that word an off-limit word. We don't say stupid, so I hope I didn't offend anybody there, but sometimes you just got to keep it real and go for, the, go for the low blow there, right? Bottom line, it's not real wise, is it? But we do it, don't we? Small things, I got them. Don't even take them to God. Well, a second thought to consider is this. Gifts, abilities, and excellent leadership skills don't negate the need for prayer. They may actually increase it. All those things that God gives us, those wonderful gifts and skills, they don't negate the need for prayer. They may actually increase it. You see, Nehemiah might have easily decided to kick his brain and all his talents into gear and just handle this thing, right? Get her done, Nehemiah. You know, you got what it takes. Yeah, I know I do. And, you know, you the man, Nehemiah. Except for the fact that sometimes all those strengths get in the way of God doing his thing. So the earlier we recognize that, the better off we'll be. You know, my strengths when operated outside of the Holy Spirit's control is, is just a recipe for crashing and burning. And uh, it certainly won't lead to anything of lasting value, at least in terms of kingdom consequence and value. So my strengths actually can work against me and they actually increase my need for God and prayer so that I don't depend on myself too much and leave God out of the picture. <laughs> like we could do that, right? I mean, God is the picture, but sometimes we leave him out. So now let's move into the book of Nehemiah to find out how can I pray as Nehemiah prayed for big-time heart-level change. We've looked at kind of some of the ways we approach prayer in life. Let's kind of see how Nehemiah handled this. Because I'd like to learn to pray as Nehemiah prayed for big change, for heart change. Well, first of all, we can follow his example and we can pray with intensity from the depths of your heart. Pray with intensity from the depths of your heart. And see, if you want to affect big heart change, you need to enter into the prayer with your own heart. Nehemiah didn't pray lightly, as we'll see. He prayed with an intensity that went straight to the heart of God, from my heart to the heart of God, to change someone else's heart. Follow that one? It's coming from my heart, from the depths of my heart, that's going to go to God's heart, that will affect someone else's heart. It's an easy thing, kind of remember this this chain. Well, let's start reading here in Nehemiah chapter 1. Verse 1 says this, 
and excuse me, we'll get through some of the Hebrew names and stuff, but uh, we'll get through them and don't worry, then it gets easier. These are the memoirs. By the way, Nehemiah is writing this, so when he says I, that's him, Nehemiah. Okay, so just context. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, you doing okay? <laughs> Setting it up. I, who's I? Nehemiah, good. I, Nehemiah, was at the fortress of Susa. Now, Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Remember what I told you? They'd been in captivity. Over a period of years, they were sent back to rebuild the temple. And now some of them are there coming back. And he's like, what's going on in Jerusalem? You know, the internet's been down. (laughs) I haven't been able to find out or something. What's happening there? And uh, and so they pick it up here. He asked them, and, and they said to me, Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jericho has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And I have to pause here again and say, those people hadn't been there for decades. And so they only kind of knew of Jerusalem. And so I picture these people going back to Jerusalem. Yay, back to the holy city. This is horrible. This city is a disgrace, and yet this is God's holy city. And they come back to him, and he's like, how is it? It's worse than we heard. You know, and this is kind of their report to him. And so that's a big deal, and it says this now, Nehemiah, when I, Nehemiah, heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, and it just broke his heart. It hit home so hard that it physically affected him, kind of making him weak in the knees, and I see him just kind of crumbling to the ground and just sobbing. Have you ever had that? Have you ever been faced with something that hit you so hard that it just kind of knocked you down physically, just, you know, weak in the knees? Maybe you had to sit down or lie down. Maybe you had to have a good long cry, you know, maybe even lost the desire to eat. I know some of you are going, no, (laughs) never lost that desire. But maybe you have had something like that, just that big, oh, my goodness, how do I handle this? Often when we're hit with something big, we go deep for a bit. You know, we go there for a bit, but we try to get over it pretty quick because we don't want to stay in the pit any longer than we need to. It's not a fun place to be. It's messy and stinky there, so we get hit with this thing, whoa, deal with it, cry a little bit and whatever, and then distract me. I need entertainment. I need to do something else to get me out of that place. But Nehemiah didn't just fall down and cry and get over it. He moved, he took it into a deeper spiritual realm, and for days he chose to remain in the pain. He chose to remain in the pain. He mourned, it says he fasted by choice, and he moved into an intense, prolonged period of prayer. His intensity of prayer was a choice he made, and it ended up changing things in a big way. He said, I'm not snapping out of this. I need to be right here because my heart is torn And this is a big deal. So what about you? Do you want to pray with Nehemiah intensity that gets the ear of God? Well, there's two things you can do in that case. First of all, pray about what you feel strongly about. Pray about what you already feel strongly about. Don't just feel strongly about it, because that's what we do. That's what I do sometimes. I feel strong about this. Have you prayed about it? Uh... Don't just feel strongly about it. Don't just do about it, complain about it, worry about it, pray about it. You see, the intensity is already there. You find something you get worked about, the state of our government or your culture, or your school district, or your family, or whatever that's there. Don't just get this way. Get this way about it and stay in it. 
The intensity is there, so pray about what you're already passionate about. Express your heart to God, and maybe stay in it longer than you'd like. I think that'd be a good thing. But secondly, there are some things that you aren't passionate about in your heart that God is. There are some things that your heart just doesn't beat quickly about, but God's does. And uh, God wants you to enter into passionate prayer for the things that he is passionate about. So you got a choice. You can either, well, you can either not pray about it, or you can pray about it and pretend that you're passionate. How's that going for you? Right? Or your prayer starts this way. God, make me passionate about the things you're passionate about. Break my heart for the things that break your heart. God, I want my heart to beat that closely to you. I want to have your convictions about the things that are important to you. And I think, for example, about people that don't know Jesus. I think sometimes it's easy to just say, I know some people choose Jesus and some people don't. I think it doesn't make sense not to, but that's just kind of the way life is. And I go on things and I, oh, you know, oh, that person. And, and, and then I just move on. And sometimes my unbelieving neighbor just bugs me. <laughs> but God looks at my unbelieving neighbor and he cries. And he weeps. Jesus here on earth, there were times when he looked over crowds and it says he just wept because he loved them so much and he wanted to gather them to him. He loves them that much. Am I going to pray passionately about someone that doesn't know Jesus? I start by saying, Lord, break my heart for my neighbor. Break my heart for the people that need to know Jesus so that I can bring that to you with an intensity that I just don't have right now. Mold my heart to become your heart. That's a prayer that maybe you need to start with today. Well, second is you pray for big heart change. We see him praying with intensity, but we also see Nehemiah acknowledge God's greatness, and we should do this too. Acknowledge God's greatness and your need for him. Acknowledge God's greatness and your need for him. As Nehemiah prayed, he moved right into proclaiming that he needed God to move. Um, He needed God to work because only God can do the major work required here. And he's just submitting to that. Nehemiah 1, then verse 5. He says, Then I, Nehemiah, said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Here's this big old section here, these, these words. It's like, it almost sounds like he's buttering God's up, but, buttering God up, right? I'm going to ask God for something, but I'm going to butter him up first. Hey, God. Oh, two issues with that. First of all, God is all that and more, so it isn't buttering him up. In fact, if Nehemiah really went into it, it would have taken about 32 chapters to write all the things that God is and who he is and what he does, right? So he's just kind of touching on it. What he's really doing here is saying, God, I want to pray it. And, you demand, God. I'm not demanding. You demand. You are God of all God. You are awesome. You are amazing. You do these things. You are these things. Listen to my prayer. He didn't try to handle it on his own. In spite of, remember, his amazing leadership skills, his giftedness, his strong personality, could have dove right in there. He said, God, you're awesome. You are great, not me. You are mighty, not me. And you're the one that's needed. Do you sometimes find yourself looking to solve things on your own because you may be particularly gifted in a specific area? Remember, it's what we talked about. No, God, I got this one. I got this one, you know. God, you can take a break. I've got it handled. I'm good at this. (laughs) Nehemiah had a ton of giftedness, but he recognized that God was needed in spite of that giftedness or maybe even because of that giftedness. God's strength is shown in our weakness. Where we are weak, God can be strong. We need to do that too. God, I need you for every little thing and every big thing. 
Well, third, as you pray for big change, heart change, we can follow Nehemiah's example. Pray more than once. Pray more than once, constantly, but not with mindless repetition. You see, Nehemiah didn't just pray once and then get busy with his work. Dear God, and now I get busy. He prayed, and 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 he prayed. Back to our text in Nehemiah. He said, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. It says he'd been fasting and morning praying for days at that point. Now it even talks about it's not even just the days, it's the nights. He is praying and praying and praying. And it looks like he has a pretty short prayer list. It's all about, Lord, your glory and Jerusalem and, and what's going on there and what's not. Now, this point about praying more than once for something important, it may seem kind of obvious, you know, that you'd pray more than once. I mean, if it's something that's important to you, you're going to pray, you know. But I think it's not always the case. And, and maybe you're like me, maybe not. But sometimes I pray once or twice about something big, and then I figure that God's got it covered, and I move on. I mean, I prayed, God heard me. Maybe I prayed again, God heard me, and, uh, and I move on, you know. Maybe it's because I get bored praying for the same things over and over again, and I think maybe he'll get bored. I hate to sound shallow, but I, shallow, but I don't always do well with this, and this was one of God's talk to me this week moments as I studied for this. Um, I, I think I rationalized that it was because I had such big faith I can pray once or twice, and then I know that God has heard, and he will act. What big faith I have. I sure trust God. I only needed to pray once or twice. What? Except to be honest, I think it's more of a measure of my laziness or my lack of uh, self-discipline in this area. Perhaps a lack of my compassion and my belief in the power of prayer. To be honest, I think those are more of the issues than how much faith I have, and I've kind of been hiding on that. I'm a big faith guy kind of my true confession this morning. Also, as we pray again and again, because God wants us to come to him again and again, as we see with Nehemiah, we bring our hearts and requests before God. We need to realize that it's not just mindless repetition. It's not the idea of, I'm just going to say the same words every day, day by day by day. (laughs) Oh, dear Lord, three things I pray, the same three things every day without thinking about it. We don't put it on automatic pilot. That doesn't do anything there. It's the heart connection with God that's there that continues to be in process with him. Constant prayer connected to our hearts. It goes to the heart of God, not just dull repetition. So engage the heart and pray again and again for big change. Well, fourth, as you pray for big heart change, we can follow Nehemiah's model and admit you don't deserve God's gift and grace, God's gifts and grace. We don't deserve it. The truth is, no matter who we are, no matter how good we are, None of us deserve God's gifts and grace, do we? I mean, that's kind of the point of grace. Um, God gives us something that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. So we don't deserve it. So Matt, listen, so no matter who you are and no matter what you pray for, no matter how passionately we pray, we don't earn the right for God to hear our prayers, let alone answer them. We don't, we don't earn that. So, so this is an attitude issue that we have to deal with. We need to be sure that when we come to God in prayer, that we come humbly not with a feeling of self-righteousness and pride, demanding that God do whatever we ask because we've been so faithful. God, I've done this, so you've got to answer. Certainly you'll answer because I've been such a solid man of God this week, today, whatever. Doesn't work that way. Nehemiah gets this. 
So right after he recognizes the big God and the need for the big God, he follows and then he points to himself and says this in, in, in the, towards the end of verse 6. He says, I, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. <laughs> we have sinned terribly, not just sinned, but we sinned terribly, okay? By not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you have given us through your servant Moses. Now, Nehemiah made it clear that he wasn't asking God to move because Nehemiah was such a great guy and, and that he'd earned the right for God to answer his prayer. He's simply honest, and honesty is, God, I look at me and it isn't pretty. How about you when you look at you? Is it pretty? <laughs> he, he doesn't try to convince God to answer his prayer by listing all the great things he's done for God lately. God, look at how many Bible verses I've memorized. Look at how many service projects I've done in the community. Look at how many community group sessions that I've attended, and I've even led a few of them. Certainly that counts for something. Have I earned your right? Have I earned the right for you to answer my prayer? He simply says, God, I don't deserve for you to even listen to me. I know that. In fact, I've sinned against you terribly, and you have every right to turn your back on me but I'm praying that you don't. I'm praying and trusting that you're a God of love and compassion and that you don't turn your back on me. That's the attitude of, of uh, Nehemiah here. We move on to the fifth thing. As you pray for the big heart change, we can follow Nehemiah's example. And fifth, check to see if your prayer is in God's will. Just check to see if your prayer is in God's will. And I put in parentheses, do this... Um, first, actually. Do it first. Now, this point appears next in the Bible passage in the text, so that's why I'm listing it fifth, because that's when he brings it up. But even though he doesn't verbalize it until now, he'd already done his homework, okay? He'd already verified God's will on this matter. He was just now proclaiming it to God in prayer at this time, you know? Hey, God, I know that I'm praying in your will because of what you've already promised us, and so he's stating that. We'll pick it up in verse 8. Nehemiah says, after he confesses about his own sin, he says, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. Ooh, that's what happened, right? They were unfaithful and they got scattered. They were beaten up by the, by the Persians, by the Babylonians, and they're now over there. So this is what's happened. But, he's claiming God's promises, but you say, God, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, which we are, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. Now, God doesn't need the reminder from Nehemiah. You know, it's not like God goes, oh yeah, that's right, I forgot I made those promises, thanks for reminding me, you know? But Nehemiah knew what God had said and that God had already proclaimed his will. Nehemiah was just claiming what God had already proclaimed. Nehemiah was simply claiming what God had already proclaimed, and he's saying, here's where I'm at, God. I'm praying in your will. This is, this is your desire, and we're entering into this. Now, for us, as we pray, we should do everything we can to be sure that our prayer is in God's will before we crank up the intensity and the frequency and all those things that we've talked about. It starts right there. Now, the truth is, you may not be sure about God's will on a matter, and by all means, go ahead and pray about it, right? There's some things like, I'm not sure if this is God's will, so maybe I won't pray. No, go for it, but, but look. Look to see. Research. Pray about it. Think about it. Look in the scripture to see. You know, you're going to pray for something outside of God's will. You're wasting your time. And I guess in a sense, his. He has unlimited time, but, but don't, don't go there, okay? 
If you're going to pray for big change, for real heart change, Nehemiah modeled the concept of knowing that he was praying in God's will. And he's right there. And, and then proclaim that fact. Proclaim that fact. Now, sixth and finally, as you pray for big heart change, ask boldly. Ask boldly. And I even put it in bold letters up there. Ask boldly for God to move. And again, this is after the five things. This wasn't first. Nehemiah didn't, the second you hear about the walls, just jump in God's face and start shouting. He did all these things we've talked about, the prayer in the morning, the fasting, and the attitude, and the recognizing God, and the confession, and the repeatedness, and the intensity, and all these things are going on, praying in God's will. And as that's going, he finally gets to the, well, the ask at the end of the prayer, and let's see that. He says, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. In other words, he's saying, God, we're being faithful to you now. We're being faithful in captivity. So he says, oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today. Here's the big ask. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Because that was going to take a miracle. It didn't make any sense. Now, Nehemiah made sure his prayer was in God's will, or at least it wasn't against God's will, and then he did all these things that we've talked about, and after that, he asked, he went for the big and the bold ask. You know, basically, God, there is no way the king should let me leave his courts as his servant so that I can go and rebuild the walls of a city that was torn down when it was conquered. There's no way that should happen. It makes no sense to even ask, but I am asking for a huge thing, God. I am asking for you to change his heart so he'll allow me to go and maybe even... Help me in my rebuilding project. <laughs> Nehemiah was bold in asking God to move. And by the way, lest I forget to give you the ending of the story, you can read the rest of the book of Nehemiah, but God changes his heart as a result of this prayer. And not only does the king, Artaxerxes, let him go back, but he actually helps him and does even more than what Nehemiah was asking for. It became a big, huge deal that makes no sense, except God did what God did. Now, sometimes I think for us that we do a fair amount of the first five things we've already talked about in prayer, but then we fall down on this last point. When it comes time to pray to God and actually ask for, big, for that big change, you know, that heart right down to the core change, it seems like we lose our nerve a bit, and, and then we don't pray boldly. And I've heard so many prayers over the years from followers of Jesus that seem to back off from asking God boldly to do great things. And, and let me just talk to you. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but this is a conviction of mine. We can almost sound apologetic. And then instead of accessing the power of God through the Holy Spirit, we're kind of just weak little pretty pleasers. And, um, you know, God, if it's your will, would you please? And, you know, it's okay if you choose not to, I understand. And, you know, just if you can squeeze it in your time. And if it's not your time, I understand that too. God, if it's your will, maybe you could heal that shoulder. But if not, comfort him and his grief and, and because we know it's your will and your plan. You've made all the qualifiers in the world. In the meantime, God's going, I'm ready to unleash some peel and power right now. Ask for it. Because <laughs> I want to grow you too. I don't see Nehemiah and, and others in Scripture apologizing for their prayers. Yes, we want to pray in God's will. That was there. When it's time to pray, go for it. God, my prayer, I want it to be in your will. And having said that, here's what I think it is, and here's what would be great to see happen, and I claim this in the name of Jesus. Nehemiah asked big, and God gave him what he asked for, a bold request answered by a big move from God. 
You see, sometimes for us, we don't have because we don't ask. That verse we read in James. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, the example that Nehemiah sets for us, this godly man who gets it (laughs) and reveals a, a pattern of prayer, not that we have to follow to the T, God, but we see a man with with the right attitude and the right actions and the right submission to you and your Holy Spirit in prayer that connects his heart with yours so that you move to change a heart and do a big, big move. God, I pray that we would do that today. We would find how we can take a step in our prayer lives, a step of submission to you and a relationship to you that leads to wonderful places. In Jesus' name, amen.